Welcome to Cool Stuff Ride Home. Marcus Paff and Reggie Rizzo bringing you some of the more interesting stories of the day. On today's episode, how beavers could potentially help combat natural disasters. The king, Elvis Presley, is set to make a comeback thanks to AI and mayhem at Target thanks to Starbucks. We'll explain. Plus, this day in history, it's a good date for Apple. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. Well, opinions on beavers have historically been mixed. Some view them as pests that destroy trees and create floods with their dams, while others simply find them adorable and or fascinating given their unique wood chomping and architectural abilities. Scientists have typically leaned into the latter perception, and now they're using AI in conjunction with satellite imagery to locate and study beavers for their potential ability to, get this, help us fight floods, droughts, and wildfires. Now, if you're like me, that's piqued your interest, and you're wondering how on earth could beavers, of all things, help us fight some of these more readily occurring natural disasters? Well, gather around, kids, because here's the story. Per the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, or CBC, it all started a few years back when a pair of Google employees reached out to a Minnesota-based scientist to ask the following question. What if we could use AI to teach computers to spot beaver habitats from space? Emily Fairfax is that University of Minnesota beaver researcher and speaking to the podcast as it happens said, quote, they wanted to know if I thought it was possible to find beaver wetlands from aerial imagery myself and then if that could be scaled up with machine learning, end quote. She knew beaver dams were visible on satellite and drone imagery already as scientists have been finding and mapping them that way for years, but it's a tedious process. Quote, the machine learning question really piqued my interest because the mapping takes a while. If we could teach students or researchers to do it, I felt like we could teach a computer to do it. And if anybody knows how to do that, it's going to be Google, end quote. Okay, that's all well and good, but I'm sure you're still wondering, how does this have the potential to combat a variety of natural disasters? Well, I'm guessing we're all at least mildly familiar with the fact beavers are incredible engineers who build dams, which leads to ponds and wetlands that store millions of gallons of water. Per Fairfax, quote, by storing a bunch of water both on the surface in the ponds, but also underground in the soil, they create these big spongy patches in the landscape that plants are able to access water from when you have a period of drought, and that are honestly just too wet to burn when you have a period of fire, end quote. She also noted their structures reduce erosion and lessen the impacts of flooding. Quote, so as we think about climate change and you have droughts and floods and fires all intensifying, beavers are kind of helping take all three of those things down a notch, end quote. But what about Google's involvement in all of this? Well, that all started in 2018 when the tech giant asked one of its mechanical engineers, Eddie Corwin, with helping the company build a corporate water stewardship program. Corwin teamed up with a sustainability expert named Dan Ackerstein, and the pair came across Alice Outwater's book, Water, A Natural History. It was in her book that they learned about the immense ecological importance of the beaver. Corwin told CBC, quote, We kind of read it together and both got really excited thinking about, you know, beavers as ways to help alleviate a lot of the problems we're starting to feel now, end quote. While Corwin and Ackerstein were bulking up their knowledge of beavers, Google was heavily investing in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Per Corwin, quote, around the same time, there had been articles coming out about the world's largest beaver dam being found using Google Earth and satellite imagery up in Canada. I was kind of thinking like, hey, you know, if there is a human out there who's looking at satellite imagery and finding beaver dams, then it's going to be possible for a machine to learn how to do that as well, end quote. 
Corwin and Ackerstein built a small team of people at Google to work on what's been dubbed EAGER, spelled with two E's at the front. That's an acronym for Earth Engine Automated Geospatial Elements Recognition. Of course it is. EAGER, as in eager beaver, by the way. EAGER is the algorithm used to help computers identify what is and what isn't a beaver dam, and it was proven to work in a paper published this past May. The project's a joint venture between Google, the conservation group Nature Conservancy, and the state of California. And with the help of Fairfax and other scientists, they taught the algorithm to map beaver infrastructure specifically across the state of California. And now here's the big reveal. If all goes well, their work could pave the way for conservation strategies to boost beaver populations in the state, which will in turn help reduce the impact of flooding and mitigate wildfires. Fast forward to today, the Eager team is working with California's Department of Fish and Wildlife to map beaver habitats across the state. An important first step because, per Fairfax, scientists have a pretty good idea of what beavers can do, but they don't know how many there are or where their populations are Distributed. By gathering this information, conservationists can better understand whether their efforts are working while also identifying new locations to introduce or reintroduce beavers. And for the record, a similar project is already taking place up in Canada, dubbed Beavers in Space, albeit without the use of AI. The Canadian project is utilizing human volunteers to scour satellite imagery and identify beaver habitats. It's good to see that we're going to use beavers to try to figure out some of our problems, because you know what they say, leave it to beaver. The Kang may not be dead after all. At least that's what one immersive AI experience set to debut in London later this year would like to convince you of. According to Laird Reality, the immersive entertainment company developing the new show, Elvis Evolution will use AI and holographic projection, augmented reality, and live theater to recreate events in Elvis's life and music. Visitors will be taken on a journey from Tupelo, Mississippi, where Elvis was born back in 1935, to Memphis, Tennessee, of course, home of Graceland, and finally, Las Vegas. Laird Reality founder and CEO Andrew McGinnis told Reuters, quote, it's going to be a joyous celebration of Elvis's life, the man, the music, and his cultural legacy. The crescendo of the experience is an AI performance by Elvis, end quote. This all came about after Laird Reality struck a deal with Authentic Brands Group, which owns the Elvis Presley estate. The British company was given access to thousands of Presley's personal photos and hours of home video to create the new performances using AI. Now, as someone who lives in Las Vegas, I can tell you that the fascination with Elvis lives on. It may not necessarily be as front and center as it once was. There was a time when you couldn't go more than a block in this town without seeing at least a couple of Elvis impersonators. But as impact on the city definitely lives on and clearly the global fascination is still there if this show is to debut in london of all places and was created by a british company the movie about his life Elvis, with Austin Butler and Tom Hanks, released in 2022, brought in just shy of $289 million. What I'm really excited about is this. After London, Elvis Evolution will travel to additional cities, including Tokyo, Berlin, and of course, Las Vegas, Reggie. So you know what? You might as well get in a plane. Come on out. We're going to go see the king perform once again. You know, you pointed out that you don't see as many Elvis impersonators there. And you are right. The last time I was in Vegas, I don't think I saw a single one. So I guess I will have to come on out and see the show just so I can see Elvis again. <laughs> 
I'll take you to some local spots, and I'm sure we can find a few impersonators, but nothing can compare to seeing the king himself, even if it is an AI version, doing a song. I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty stoked to see this. I think it'll be uh, really cool. Look, I've never been to Coachella, nor do I have an interest in attending that. But I do recall a few years back, there was a big deal made about some deceased performers that were on stage in holographic form and seeing that on social media. It was pretty wild. And now to think that, hey, Elvis could return to the city where he not became famous. Of course, he was huge by the time he got here. But but the second act of his career, so to speak, really took off. That's going to be pretty neat. How long until Hologram Elvis and Hologram Tupac put on a show together? Tupac was one of the Coachella performers I was yeah, referencing. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be quite the show there. At some point, we're going to have an entire music festival with performers, none of whom are actually alive. All deceased performers in the house putting this thing on. And you know what? Reggie, as I think about this, people who like to put on shows, they don't like to spend a ton of money either. If this were ever to become affordable, uh, think of the revenue potential for a lot of these large concert venues and, and companies that put on shows to not have to pay someone to come in, but rather, hey, you know what, we'll just project a hologram of name a performer that's no longer with us because we all... For some, it, it, it'll be a nostalgia thing. And for others, it, it will be like me with Elvis saying, well, I never saw the guy. I better go out and check this out. Get your tickets for Gravestock today. <laughs> you better uh, be hired on as the marketing man for this tour. So while this show is called Cool Stuff Ride Home, this next story, maybe not so cool. It's more of an eye roll story for us, but it caught our attention and... We want to share it with you. You know America loves its coffee, and certainly its coffee-based specialty drinks. Starbucks is raking in the money, and it probably won't even be long before there's a Starbucks on the International Space Station or the moon. Boy, I'd love to be that barista on the International Space Station. <laughs> Just hanging around, <laughs> serving, <laughs> serving when drinks. When will this shift ever end? <laughs> It'd be really hard to make those little leaves, I think, on the, the coffee. <laughs> can never get this right. <laughs> and they're still screwing up the name on your cup. <laughs> you misspelled my name again, Terry. I order here every day. I Van? <laughs> I, I'm assuming there's a Russian named Ivan in space, right? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Back to the coffee. You know, there are some people that love those specialty cups and tumblers sold by Starbucks. The company recently introduced a particular tumbler sold exclusively at Target, not in store. It is so popular, it's been the source of Black Friday style campouts and fighting in some instances. And for all of that, the item won't be restocked. Yahoo and Today.com described the product built by the popular Stanley Corporation this way. Unbreakable 40 ounce double wall vacuum insulated tumblers. And of course, they were released in winter pink hue in conjunction with Starbucks January 3rd rollout of their winter menu. Starbucks says the 40 ounce stainless steel quencher can be purchased for $49.95 for a limited time while supplies last. And if you're thinking of getting one, you may already be too late. Per a Starbucks rep, we are seeing an enthusiastic response to the Starbucks X Stanley quencher and many stores have sold out. It will not be restocked, end quote. 
And already some of the Stanley Cups purchased in-store have found their way to resale sites like Macari, eBay, and Poshmark for as much as $300. By the way, this isn't the first time this has happened, not even close. Starbucks released a holiday red Stanley quencher in November, which led to some customers camping out, pitching tents in Starbucks parking lots, in hopes of securing one, while employees complained about customers harassing them and cussing them out. Marcus, are you looking for one of those Stanley quenchers? No, I'm not. And not because I don't find it to be a quality product. I'm sure it's a, a fantastic tumbler produced by Stanley, but I will never understand the hassle that some people are willing to go through for something like this. And quite frankly, even worse, I'll never understand why people are willing to treat employees like dirt in the name of securing one. It's absolutely absurd. And I've seen this in person before where people come in storming into the store trying to find a way to pick one up and it's embarrassing. That's why I've often said this of late. I will never tell someone to act like an adult because as an adult, I'm convinced there is no such thing. I don't understand why you need 40 ounces of anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> not a Either fan of the big gulps? I am not. By the time I get to the bottom, <laughs> I understand the Stanley Cup's goal is to make it so this doesn't happen. But the drink's going to be cold. It'll be watery. It'll be you know, warm or whatever. It'll be the opposite of what I want it to be by the time I get to the bottom. I'd rather have a 16 to 20 ouncer at most and just refill it. <laughs> I, I don't understand the obsession with these giant cups. I don't want to carry that around. Whoa, big gulps, huh? Well, no, see no you big later. gulps. <laughs> Plus, if I have something like that, I have this weird obsession. If I have a drink in my hand, I need to constantly keep sipping at it. And if I do that, I'll spend the rest of the day in the bathroom. Just all day. <laughs> Fair enough. Just... That's kind of my work day, to be honest, Reggie. <laughs> I am the person who always has to have a beverage. And like you said, I always have to be sipping. And therefore, I always have to be running to the bathroom every 15 minutes, it feels like. It's hard to get through meetings when it's uh, just, I'll be right back. Just give me a few minutes. <laughs> Why does Marcus never have his camera on? <laughs> I'm glad He's you not... don't have your camera on. <laughs> What's that flushing sound in the background? <laughs> if you ever hear a flushing sound during this podcast, you know Marcus had too much to drink. <laughs> I got me a Stanley Tumbler. Taking a look at this day in history, January 9th was a good day for Apple. It was on this day in 2001 that Apple announced iTunes at the Macworld Expo in San Francisco. It was first released as a simple music player for Mac computers. It evolved over time to allow users to manage their media content, create playlists, and synchronize their media content on devices like the iPod, iPhone, and iPad. With a later update, it added internet radio, the ability to purchase music, films, TV shows, and audiobooks. It was discontinued for the Mac computers in 2019. That same year, they split iTunes into three separate apps, Apple Music, Apple TV, and most importantly, of course, at least for podcast listeners, Apple Podcasts. I do have to say, before I get on to the other event that happened for Apple on this day, I still use my iPod. I don't care how much people want to make fun of me for it and call really? me an old man. Yes, I still use my iPod. Yeah, well, fair enough. Good on you, man. I mean, I can understand why. Sometimes uh, having your phone there at the gym and getting all sweaty and whatnot, I, I wouldn't mind actually having a straight MP3 player for something like that. This is interesting. You know, you go back to 2001, and I recall, maybe I shouldn't be admitting this on, on, a, on our podcast, but, you know, th those were the days of Napster and Kazaa or Kaza. I still don't know how you pronounce it properly. But, you know, we were all downloading music on those share sites that... Uh, Pretty much it felt like everyone was accessing and the 
I think the platform, at least my perception is that iTunes was really the thing that turned that around at some point where you said, oh, okay, I can buy this song for a dollar and not risk being raided by the FBI. That sounds like a a fair turnabout. I mean, I know it was scare tactics to an extent, but they were cracking down on people. and, And I have to believe that Apple was really the beneficiary there. Also on this date for Apple in 2007, that's when Apple CEO Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. The iPhone was the first mobile phone to use multi-touch technology. Since 2007, 1.9 billion iPhones have been sold, and they hold a 65% share of the smartphone sales in the U.S. Globally, they control 23.4% of the market. It's estimated that currently 1 billion people use iPhones. I know this is a bit of a debate with a lot of my coworkers, but I'm an Android user. I don't know if I'll ever change. I might have my iPod, like I said, but when it comes to phones... I'm an Android user. Oh, I'm well aware you're an Android user because I have to see the stupid green (laughs) box when I text you. And everybody else, there's a pretty blue box. I know when you're responding, I can text you via the web. And then you, inevitably, it's like, hmm, did that text message go through? Oh, maybe 45 minutes later, it actually sent and was delivered. Just deal with it, Marcus. (laughs) Oh, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it every day. That'll do it for this edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. If Marcus ever wants to talk to me again for continuing to use my Android, I'll, we'll be I'll back. email you so I don't have to wait on the text to be delivered. Yes, <laughs> I will email you at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. All right, all right, fine, fine. I'm Reggie Rizzo. He's Marcus Path. We'll hopefully be back tomorrow with another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Oh, oh, oh.